You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunnis. That's right. Your imaginary internet radio dial is tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it is an all-business Ben Folks. Ben, you barged into my home this afternoon and pretty much insisted that we just immediately start recording the Co-Main Event Podcast I guess my my question to you is, where's the fire? I'm sorry. Did you want want me to hang around and and small talk you a little bit first, chat you up to be like, I've heard in the city of Missoula when you buy weed, you kind of like go over to your <laughs> weed dealer's house, buy weed from them, and then sort of hang out for a half hour or so and watch, you know, Breaking Bad or whatever he's got on the tube. Yeah, no, I mean. You got to be careful though when you're going to buy drugs because that is the protocol for certain drug purchases, but not others. Okay. The 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 acid dude, the LSD dude, uh-huh. he, he doesn't want to hang out with you. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. The next time I uh, I take part in an illicit drug purchase. Yeah. However, the HGH dude, <laughs> he he wants to at least know what you bench. I mean, yeah. you're gonna we at least probably, have to have a conversation. I assume that any transaction for HGH takes place in a gym locker room. And I, and I imagine the dude selling it probably has his foot propped up on the bench. He may or may not just only be wearing a towel, <laughs> and he probably does want to like hang out and talk for gym locker for room a few, at least the, a few minutes. Gym locker room, the number one setting, also acceptable. Uh, parked Hummer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. It's just that you were very insistent. You, I figure you must have some very important meeting to get to sometime this afternoon. I got stuff to do, man. Places to go. Yeah, can't I just t- sit around here bullshitting yeah, all day. I don't, I don't have all day to sit around here smoking and joking with you. Let's well, do the damn we thing. We better get started then. Yeah. As usual this week, the co-main event podcast comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, Vanderlei Silva regained his title as the mayor of Standen Bangistan this week again this weekend. But like the light beer commercial tells us, don't you have to know when to say when? That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Maybe a few years, a yeah. few years old commercial. I thought you were going to go with "was <laughs> but that wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. Should have done the context. So. See, I need some input on these. Round number two: uh, Stefan Struve tried hard to get knocked out by Mark Hunt, who in turn tried pretty hard to get submitted by Stefan Struve. So, whose uh, strategy reigned supreme? And in round the number, the dude whose jaw isn't broken. That's right. That's correct. Okay. And in round number three, people has no idea how dark I am in my head sometimes. All that plus Master Tweet Theater. Are you fucking kidding me? And just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Travis Bickle, who writes, "What do you think about Dana White?" and media and fans comparing the UFC to a quote-unquote real job. Recently, after cutting a bunch of fighters, lots of people said stuff like, well, you couldn't continue to mess up but your job and not get fired. 
True. We also heard Dana White say that they're overstaffed by 100 people, so they have to let some of them go. If my boss hired 100 too many people, he'd probably be out of a job. <laughs> Good point. You know, I was actually thinking about writing something on this recently, because we do hear that comparison a lot, selectively used with MMA. Right. Like, hey, you can't mess up at your job. If you did this bad at your job, yeah, of course you get fired. We also hear MMA compared to other like league sports, uh, like the NFL and the NBA a lot. And all those comparisons are flawed. And this is a good example of why. Like, yeah, you're, the job of professional cage fighter is, not surprisingly, pretty much nothing like most people's regular jobs. For instance, who out there, your job is determined entirely by 15 minutes on one Saturday night? Like, you have to show up for work for three months before that, but you don't get paid and nothing you do matters then. Uh, it's only one day for a couple minutes where your whole entire job performance is determined. It's also a, a quote-unquote regular job where as much as 50% of your disclosed take-home money can depend on how you do on that day. Yeah. Which, you know, we wonder why guys cheat sometimes. <laughs> I would, you know, hazard a guess that if at our jobs... The, the deal was, well, you know, depending on how good the thing you write is, you could get paid 50% of the money that we owe you or 100%. <laughs> you know, it's, a lot of guys that are in the industry might cheat a little bit yeah. more than they do. Yeah, that's a good No, I mean, there's just no way. I mean, we, we do it all the time, but there's just no way to compare uh, fighting in a cage, two men fighting in the cage, as Chad Dundas likes to say, stripped to the waist. That's there's, right. There's just no way to compare that to, you know, working for a paper company or something. It's also hard to ignore the coincidence that Travis Bickle brings up here where the UFC spent, you know, almost all of last year assuring us that everything was going awesome. And now suddenly we, we, we turn around and it's March, 2013 and suddenly they have to let a hundred guys go, which leads me to believe that maybe they weren't being entirely honest with us throughout the struggles of 2012. Yeah, there's a whole other issue altogether. Also, in your job, your your boss probably has some form of oversight over the job he's doing, right? You mean like there could be policy involved? Yeah. Some policy issues? Could be some policy. Uh, The second question this week comes from James Guildford, who asks, Matthew Riddle has again tested positive for marijuana and has been cut from the UFC. Are you fucking kidding me? Ben, I know that this is one of your pet issues, so I'm going to just go ahead and let you answer it. In what way is it my pet issue? Well, it's one of those issues that you uh, gets you fired up. You like to talk about the marijuana and how it's ridiculous that the guys... Marijuana. Old man done this here. Well, it is ridiculous that we would fire a dude for... Or even be testing dudes for marijuana. It doesn't matter. Also, it's one of those drugs where when you test a guy for marijuana and you find out that the test tells you what? That he smoked marijuana three weeks ago before the fight? Why does that matter? Why do we care in the world of professional fighting whether a dude smoked weed three weeks before a fight? We care if he injected testosterone three weeks before a fight. Or at least we should care. It's just such a, a weird like contrast between how we treat drugs that actually matter and are actually putting people in danger and drugs that don't matter at all. Yeah. No, you're right. I agree with you about that. And it is ridiculous that marijuana is something that they test for. Hell, it's ridiculous probably that marijuana is illegal. Yeah. And the th- at the they- same time, though, okay. Matt Riddle is a professional cage fighter. He's a professional athlete. That is, I would wager, going to come with some requirements. That's true. Gonna come with some responsibilities above and beyond a dude who delivers pizzas for a living. No, I, and I agree with that. He did know the rules. I mean, in fairness, 
the rules are not spelled out that, hey, if you have your second test, we'll fire you. The UFC does not. When the UFC referenced a strict, consistent policy it has about drug use, and I sent an email to, to Mark Ratner to be like, wait, so does that mean that it's laid out that, hey, if you do this, this happens. If you do this a second time, this happens. Or do you just decide case by case? And he said, yeah, no, it's case by case. So, I mean, how would such a policy then be inconsistent? It would be impossible for it not to be if your If your stance is... Well, we wait to see what happens and who it happens to, and then we decide what to do. No way for that to be inconsistent, because it is kind of built into that. Um, so, yeah, he should have known that it would be frowned upon for him to test positive for weed again. At the same time, though, look at Dave Herman. I mean, he's tested positive for weed twice, right? And he goes to rehab. You know, for, for Matt Riddle, that's one of the ones where talking to him about why he is a medical marijuana patient, I, I actually buy it. I buy it that that dude... Being on marijuana allows him not to be on five different prescription drugs, which I can totally understand. You know, with some other dudes, maybe, you know, they're just looking for a way to get high legally. Uh, With him, I'm tempted to believe that uh, marijuana really is doing something for him. And for the people who say, like, oh, it's a performance-enhancing drug, listen, I've I've tried the old little little bit of marijuana, go do some jujitsu thing before. Uh, not a performance answer, at least, at least in my personal limited experience. The third question this week comes from Juan Juan Diaz. Huh. I'm not sure what kind of name Juan Juan is. Makes him sound like uh, a member of the S1Ws, the old public enemy uh, security detail slash dancing ensemble that those guys in the berets that used to... Maybe he Am is. Am I before your time now? Yeah. Talking I about public enemy? Uh, yeah. I mean... You, as soon as you go guys and berets, you lose me. It's That's not just easy a general rule. doing a podcast with a 15-year-old kid. <laughs> anyway, Juan Juan Diaz writes, One and two in the UFC, two distinctly disappointing performances, a massive paycheck which isn't delivering value for money. So Hector Lombard was all hype, huh? I don't know if I'd say Hector Lombard is all hype, but he yeah, is a disappointment looked, so far. He has been a disappointment so far, although looked every bit pretty dangerous this weekend in, in his fight. He was not messing around with those bungalows he no. was throwing. It just, he can hurt you. Yeah. But I don't understand if you're Hector Lombard, when he had Yushin Okami kind of staggering around the, the cage in the third round, and you have reason to believe that if you're not down two rounds to nothing, it's at least really, really close. That's when you got to go for broke for the finish on the feet if you're Hector Lombard. He had an opportunity to force Yushin Okami back up to his feet uh, and see how strong his legs were, and instead he opted to kind of crawl into his guard and finish out the round there. That's kind of baffling to me. It was a very strange-looking exchange. It looked like almost a habit born out of the training room or something, like Hector Lombard thought that they were just rolling, and he was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, set myself up in your guard like like I would do if we were, you know, doing drills or something like that. Well, he also, and this is kind of the same thing we heard from him in the Tim after the Tim Boach fight, he seems to have a... uh, maybe a skewed idea of how the scoring works in MMA. I mean, I know it's tough for any of us to figure it out at times, but he he thinks he's ahead at times when he definitely is not. That's hurting him. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Lombard was one of these guys that I've always, the, the past few years I've always thought it would be really interesting to see him in the UFC because obviously he put up gaudy numbers in terms of his professional record fighting in other organizations and always looked super dangerous and super deadly. And then he does come into the UFC and, uh, 
and kind of underperforms a little bit. Although, you know, I think you, you may be able to lock, uh, chalk the first loss up to UFC jitters, which happens to a lot of guys. Yeah. And then I believe he came back and won a fight. And then, you know, getting handed Yushin Okami, that's, that's tough duty for anybody, man, in that yeah. weight class. Like, Yushin Okami, especially if you're a guy who wants to stand and, and, and throw power shots like Hector Lombard does, Yushin Okami is, is nothing to sneeze at, for sure. No, no, he's no joke, as you would say. And uh, But uh, that's the thing, is I think... Lombard had an opportunity there and and let it slip by. Maybe it's just a matter of uh, maybe up in his fight IQ, as they say, a little bit, uh, a little more situational awareness. You might even say, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not ready to close the book on Hector Lombard and say total UFC bust, but uh, he does have some things he needs to work on. Last question this week comes from John Crowley, who asks, now that Alistair Overeem's drug test came back, quote, dangerously low, end quote, in the testosterone department following his loss to Bigfoot Silva, will he now be eligible for testosterone replacement therapy? Keeping in mind, just last year, his surprise test came back with a TE ratio off the charts, and he was hence pulled from UFC 146. If so, are you fucking kidding me? So, second question. Second question. Are week. you that's, fucking kidding that's me? It's ended that way. You know, I... In looking around the the blogosphere after this news came out, I was Old a little bit Dundas. I was a little bit disappointed with how it seemed to be reported by you know at least a couple of outlets who seemed to be not only trumpeting the fact that Alistair Overeem's testosterone levels were quote unquote dangerously low, but also like not really making the connection that hey this is a dude that for years we thought was on steroids and then showed up for this fight suddenly looking softer and altogether less deadly than he has in his past few. Like, are we really that surprised that maybe Alistair Overeem's testosterone levels would be a little low in the wake of this particular fight? Yeah, no. There are a lot of things that could explain why his testosterone levels would be, quote, dangerously low. But here's what I wondered, though. If that was him dangerously low, dangerously low, just perilously low, right? And he still was in control of that fight until he kind of got a little too comfortable and, and, and maybe tired out a little bit there in the third round. If that's what he can do dangerously low, this is what we're worried about? These are the uh, the terrible uh, effects of hypogonadism and dangerously low testosterone that we must allow fighters to use steroids in order to counteract? Because that didn't seem that bad. That didn't seem, I mean, it seemed like he was a, a little bit off his game, but not so much where you'd be like, well, it would be a disservice to this man <laughs> to let him fight without injecting him with some testosterone beforehand. I don't know. Is that, is that? Am I alone on that one? No, I'm with you, and I'm. I mean, I'm just interested to see what the guy's low. physique and and performance is like when he comes back to fight Junior Dos Santos. Because you know, if he comes out there during the weigh-in once again looking like a, a walking version of a He-Man action figure, then you got to wonder, wow, did he really just think he could take take Bigfoot Silva? so lightly that that he would roll in there looking kind of a lot worse than he has in in recent fights and now after the loss he's he's ripped and and shredded again it's it's gonna be i don't know man i'm interested to see i would love it if we could do this for every fight every fighter test exact testosterone levels every single time out just so we can see who is dangerously low yeah who who has the testosterone of a high school kid (laughs) I think that's high, right? I guess I don't know. Okay. Maybe normal. I always see people talking about normal testosterone, so maybe that's maybe that's what that would be. Anyway, that we're going to wrap up uh 
listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast, you know how to get in touch with us by now. Go to the website, comaineventpodcast.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, it was an upset-laden UFC on Fuel main card this Saturday night as four of the six televised fights ended in favor of the underdogs. And really, it probably should have been five, as I think most people can agree that Diego Sanchez got away with one. Uh, The biggest surprise, I thought, came in the main event when Vanderlei Silva served up a second-round knockout of Brian Stan that if he so desired, could probably end his storied MMA career in Hollywood fashion. You couldn't really have scripted it better here for Vanderlei Silva. But I know you wrote about it this week on MMA Junkies, so let's just go ahead and begin this discussion by noting there's no way in hell that Vanderlei Silva walks away after this victory. No, absolutely no chance that he does that. It would be totally awesome. Maybe like the kind of ending to a career that would inspire other fighters with his example, his positive example, for years hence. Uh, But no, there's just no way. We know too much about fighters to even reasonably expect that that would happen. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think... I commented to you immediately following the fight as we watched it at your house. That was awesome. It was great to see. And now I think there are a lot of people at home thinking both those guys should probably give some uh, serious consideration to their futures in the sport because Vanderlei obviously been there, done that he's done just about everything a guy could do in the sport and clearly is not close to the level that he was at when he was terrorizing people back in pride. Brian Stan, on the other hand, is a guy that everyone agrees is uh, super smart, very articulate, uh, seems to be a thoughtful guy in his own way, and a guy that could probably be pretty darn successful outside of the realm of fighting. So for both of them, I'm not sure that it makes a tremendous amount of sense for them to uh, you know, continue on in a way that could potentially be damaging to their health, especially when you consider the way that they that they fought this weekend, especially oh, yeah. for Brian Stan. I thought that there were similarities, I thought, in the in the in the message in the methods and also the results for both Brian Stan and Stefan Struve, uh, even though I think they fought the way they did for different reasons. And I know we'll talk about Stefan Struve in round two, uh, but both of those guys I thought fought really in essentially the only possible way that could have lost them those fights. <laughs> well, you know, with Brian Stan, I feel like if you're fighting Vanderlei in the main event in a weight class in which you're not really a, a fighter in yeah. anymore in Japan, in Japan it's like nobody has to say to you what they're expecting because it's all implied in the circumstances. You know. You know what people want out of that fight. Uh, and, you know, to Brian Stan's credit, he was willing to, to take, take on more of a risk, risk than he probably had to in order to deliver that. 
the thing for me with, like, I mean, you touched on it with Vanderlei, is what are you sticking around for? Because this is something I've talked to Brian Stan about before. Like, hey, do you, what if you become that guy where everybody's like, hey, he has a good chin and he's willing to go out there and slug. And so what if he's never going to be a champion? You know, he can hang around, have some fun fights, make some more money. Uh, is that okay with you? And he said, absolutely not. That if he feels like he's not moving toward a title, uh, then he's going to retire. He doesn't want to hang around just to hang around and collect some paychecks and, and get in some fun fights. But see, for Vandalay, it seems like that's the best case scenario right now, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's feeling like he's going to be a champion at either 185 or 205. Uh, you don't even really hear him talking about that. It's like, you know, he doesn't have anywhere he's specifically trying to go, but he doesn't want to go home. I'm not totally convinced still that that is Vanderlei Silva, as I've discussed with you in the past. <laughs> All right, here we go. You need to tell everybody about your your crazy conspiracy Well, theory. you're familiar with the standby sitcom plotline where someone leaves their pet alone with whoever the most hapless character on the sitcom happens to be. The pet runs away, and so the, the character says, I got to go to the pet store and buy a dog that looks as close as yeah. possible to the dog that I was supposed to be dog sitting. Or yeah, I mean usually this kind of storyline can involve a little girl who has a hamster or something that dies. Yes. Yeah. You got to go replace certain, the hamster. Are we 100% certain <laughs> that something like this didn't happen with with Vanderlei Silva where Dana White was supposed to be watching him but he <laughs> slipped out the back door and disappeared into the world and so Dana White had to send Lorenzo Fertitta to the pet store to buy by a dude who looked as much as possible like Vanderlei Silva, but not exactly. But no, clearly not exactly. Since if you if you look in the face, the face region, yeah. After we've heard this cover story about the surgery, but you're not buying that Vanderlei had. Man, just not sure it's the same dude. You know. You know, and I. <laughs> Everyone should know that this is what it's like to watch a fight with Chad Dundas <laughs> at your house. Is you're gonna have to listen to that 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 theory all night long uh you know i would not rule it out that if there's anybody out there who has access to some crazy cloning technology that the rest of us don't even know about yet i think dana white either either knows those people or knows somebody who knows something about it uh as they say i wouldn't be surprised if dana white knows where you can drop you know half a mil and and, and get a you know a reasonable knockoff clone a facsimile yeah, yeah of, of of one of your great fighters oh, it's like and when- he does seem like Van, along with his new face that he's got Vanderlei Silva's chin has somehow come back when yeah. does that ever happen no. that doesn't happen well here's the here on a more serious note here is the is the question I was going to pose to you anytime I think you have an old lion. A youngish dinosaur <laughs> who goes to fight overseas in Japan where we don't we know go. much about the testing. And he has a performance like this where he knocks out Brian Stan train as, is an, into the station. as an underdog. There's always going to be questions, right? Ooh. Is that unfair? <laughs> Say what you mean, Chad Dundas. Say what you mean. I feel like I asked you a very direct question there. Are you saying you think Vanderlei Silva's on the TRT? I, no, I'm, I'm not saying I think that. I'm saying I've seen that out there on the, you know, we got emails this week asking us that very question. I've seen it on the Twitter machine. People are, are, are wondering aloud. And to me, it honestly does feel a little unfair for, you know, that basically any time a dude like that has a good performance, we're going we're gonna to immediately be jumping to the conclusion that he's on something. And yet, that's the reality of where we're at. Yeah, no, okay, that is a fair commentary about the sport of MMA and about the UFC at this point, is that 
you know, a 36-year-old fighter goes out there and looks better than he has in a long time, and we're all kind of holding our breath waiting to find out, are we going to hear later in the week that he had a TRT exemption? Are we going to not, not hear it at hear, all? Yeah. And, you know, not hearing it does not necessarily confirm that it's not true. Like, that's another reason why uh, the UFC in particular needs to do everything it can to get that TRT shit sorted out. Because if you don't, then even the, the possibility... Even without the accusation, you just just the possibility sticks to these guys uh, and can can tarnish something that uh, doesn't deserve to be tarnished. Because yeah, we we don't know about Vanderlei. TRT doesn't make your your chin more solid. Uh, I don't think. I, don't, I haven't seen their latest research on on what TRT does for your ability to be struck in the head and remain conscious. Uh, but you know, it, it it does say something that, especially in Japan, with the UFC acting as its own regulator there, uh, we are all kind of waiting to find out what were his testosterone levels like. You know, like that's just a the same way like as MMA fans now, we all just like stuff like testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. Like that's just in our vocabulary now, and that sucks. I hate that. I hate that we have to know shit like that. Like we're all just fucking amateur endocrinologists by virtue of being fans of a sport. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's do. Oh, I guess we're gonna uh, go into Master Tweet Theater here. I totally forgot. But Sir Nigel Longstock's waiting in the wings. Uh, let's bring him in now, and we're gonna kick off another edition of Master Tweet Theater. Time again, where we welcome back to the podcast, friend of the show, and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am well. Well, for those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel's going to read us off some tweets. Chad and I are going to try and guess which MMA figure, not necessarily a fighter, uh, tweeted this particular missive, and probably there will be something slightly humorous about it somewhere along the way. Sir Nigel, when you're ready. <clears throat> Let us begin. <clears throat> Toy boat. Hmm. Tweet the first. Don't blame me for you being stupid and get all vindictive with fake stories and slanted, biased garbage reporting. I feel like I got this one, Chad. Yeah, we actually were discussing this earlier. That's uh, that's Chael Sonnen. Yeah, what's what's going on with Chael Sonnen? No idea. He's he appears to be mad at some sort of I would guess internet mixed martial arts journalist, but because he refuses to mention that person on his Twitter, it's impossible to tell who or what he's even talking about. Do you, do you, do you think it's us? It could be. I don't know. Well, actually, I think I heard one of the other tweets. He got mad and, and was saying that the person didn't even have a journalism degree. So that rules you out. You got a journalism degree, as far as anyone knows. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, what are the odds it's just that it's nobody? And he's just making something up just to rant about it. I'd say 50-50 yeah. that it could be nobody. Yeah. All right. But I the, mean, the thing is, I actually went to the, after I saw his tirade, his multi-tweet tirade, I went to the internet and I was like, oh, I better find out who this is. Yeah, where's the Chael Sonnen story? I couldn't, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Huh. Therein lies the problem, I suspect. <laughs> <clears throat> tweet the second. It is Chael Sonnen. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yes, you guessed correctly. He is once again the victim of a massive conspiracy that has hobbled <laughs> all of his efforts thus far. Tweet the second. <clears throat> Tip to reduce weight. Turn your head to the left and then turn to the right. Repeat exercise when offered something to eat. Oh, I see. It's clever. 
Very clever. That seems to me like the particular brand of cleverness employed by one Sean McCorkle. Ooh, boy, that's exactly who I was going to guess, too. Mm -hmm. Can we do that? Can we both guess the same guy? I don't see why not. All right, I'm going to guess also big, sexy Sean McCorkle. Both fine guesses, both well-grounded in Master Tweet Theater history, and both wrong. God damn it. It is, in fact, Sarah McCann. Sarah McCann. McMahon? Sarah McCann. Oh, McMahon, son of a bitch. <laughs> I was thinking of Sean McCorkle. <laughs> Weren't we all? We yeah. were all thinking of Sean McCorkle. Well, all right. Well, maybe uh, I need to pay a little more attention to Sarah McMahon's Twitter. Yeah, I guess I'll have to start following her. Get on your, your Twitter game is weak, Chad. Get on your Twitter game, son. That's a fact. Yeah, Sean McCorkle has tweeted like 150 times since you last logged in. <clears throat> Tweet the third. Driving home last night, I went past a terrible car crash which had just happened. Please drive carefully, people. Driving is very dangerous. <laughs> wow. So that's a, that's a PSA about driving. Yes. Basically. From a pro fighter warning us of the dangers of driving a car. <laughs> wow. You know, if, if it weren't so, I don't want to say eloquently put, but at least competently put, I might be tempted to guess that was a Vanderlei Silva or maybe a Vitor Belfort, but no. I don't know. I'm going to say this seems like maybe a John Jones gem of wisdom. Well, he would know. And because, you know, for him, <laughs> fighting is not dangerous at all. No, Driving that, yeah. way more dangerous yeah, for John Jones. Yeah, that's a good Jones. point. Driving is far more dangerous, has proven, been proven to be far more dangerous for John Jones than fighting. Uh, I am going to guess a fighter involved in the robust commuter culture of California, the California kid Uriah Faber. That's actually sound reasoning. Both fine guesses, both well-grounded, both incorrect. Ah. It is, in fact, Michael Bisping. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Hold up. He's probably trying to drive on the opposite side of the road. I This I cannot abide because I have ridden in a car driven by Michael Bisping, and I can only describe the experience as harrowing. Dude. Michael Bisping is a terrible driver. Of course well, it's dangerous. That's probably why he thinks driving is so dangerous. He drives like uh, he's pulling a bank job at all times. Did, it's insane. Did he hit another car 80 times without knocking anyone out and win a decision? <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Yes. Uh, actually, all he did was... You know, run a couple red lights, nearly get us in several accidents, and then get into a street altercation with a bicyclist in Las Vegas. Hmm. It was, uh, uh, I'm going to say, you know, one of those things where five minutes into the car ride, I realize I'm not wearing my seatbelt, and I'm like, well, so this is how it ends. This is it. And yet once you're five minutes into the ride, you can't at that point be like... no. I'm just going to, like, nonchalantly put my safety belt on. No, no, especially because we were packed into the car, and finding the, the seat belt would have meant, like, basically digging around in the ass area of the stranger sitting next to Wait me. Wait a second. How many people were in this car? A bunch. I don't what know. What were the circumstances of this? We were, I wrote a story about it. It's on the internet somewhere. We went to go to the drugstore where he was going to cut weight and everything. Anyway. He was cutting weight at a drugstore? He was getting stuff to cut weight at a drugstore. Oh, this right. story does not add up. <laughs> <laughs> Best part about the story is at the CVS where he got his accoutrement to cut weight. He, he wanted to get a Snickers bar for right after the weigh-in. Uh, and one of his team members was like, maybe it's not a great thing to eat right after you weigh in and before you have a pro fight. Uh, I think he wanted to get two Snickers bars. And they were like, you don't need to eat two Snickers bars, dude. I'll, I'll eat one of them. And then he was like, well, if you're going to eat one, then I need to get three. Pro fighter. 
Professional athlete, Michael Bispin. Did he refer to it as a Snickers bear? Is that your Michael Bispin? Yes, it is, sir. It's very hard to do. Two accents at once. Noted theatricalist. <clears throat> a master of identities. Tweet the fourth. <clears throat> this tweet uh, came, I'm going to say, immediately before the Mark Hunt fight this weekend. Just oh, That's a okay. hint. Next two fights hopefully save the night. Brutal! I'm going to take from... Your inflection that brutal may have been in all caps. Brutals was, in fact, in all caps, sir. Uh, I'm going to say Dana White, UFC President Dana White. Yeah, I actually know for a fact that it was UFC <laughs> President Dana White. It who tweeted was. It. Yeah. it was UFC President Dana White criticizing his own card and calling for more brutality. Well, that's why <laughs> and we, receiving it. That's why we like him. He's just like us. <laughs> Except super fucking rich and powerful. Yes, he holds a window up to reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tweet the fifth. The day is what you make it, so why not make it a great one? Good fucking morning, everybody. I mean, that seems like the poet Phil Maroney to me. Yeah, Matt Mitrion shut off his Twitter. Uh, well, you said Phil Baroni. Well, shit, we already have agreed on too many of these, so fine, I'll go Phil Baroni too. It is! It is Phil Baroni. The mark of the poet is unmistakable. It's the word fucking. <laughs> that is what gave it away for me, honestly. Well, Sir Nigel, this has been interesting for all of us. This was a strong showing from us. I just want to point that out before we sign out. That's very I, don't, good. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we got some softballs in there. I mean, I'll t- I'm going to take it. I know. I have to take it. You'll take it walking away. I know. So, Nigel, what do you got going on this week? Well, it's funny you should ask, sir. My bookings have dried up lately. So oh, no. I'm, yes, I know. I'm directing my own production of The Odd Couple, in which I play both Felix and Oscar, and the two have a sexual relationship. I call it The Oddly Beautiful Couple. <laughs> so, basically, you're masturbating at the bus station again. Well, so you say, sir, but with an audience. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Sir Nigel Longstock, and that was Master Tweet Theater. Good day, sir. Chat, in heavyweight action this past weekend, we saw Mark Hunt just trying to prove he can pass Stefan Struve's guard as you and I sat on the couch and yelled, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then Stefan Struve trying to prove that he can take a punch from Mark Hunt, uh, which it turns out you can't. Nobody can. Uh, at least you can't take many. The thing I wonder after a heavyweight fight like that is what was going on in these guys' heads? I mean, both of them. It's a great performance for Mark Hunt. You know, great, great knockout win. He gets another walk-off KO. It's kind of becoming his thing now. Uh, but at the same time, I have to wonder, why? what is it about certain MMA fighters that they need to go out there and try and prove that they can do something that they don't need to even really be trying to do? Yeah, we talked about it as we were watching the fight, that it, you know, Stefan Struve, especially in his striking defense, appears to imagine that he is so tall that no one is going to be able to hit him, right? He, he appears to have no sense of the fact that he is about to get his jaw broken if he stands there and takes a bunch of shots from Mark Hunt. He just kind of does this thing where he leans straight back away from guys' punches 
uh, as if he thinks that being seven feet tall, he, the other guy is just like physically cannot hit him. Which I'm sure probably works sometimes. I mean, that's why it's pro- I can forgive the guy for maybe getting into some bad habits because I bet a lot of the time Stefan Struve is sparring, he can just kind of lean his head back and you're not going to be able to reach his chin. However, on those occasions where he leans his, his head back and you can still reach his chin, it's like the worst place for your chin to be when it gets hit. Also... If that guy ever figures out that he doesn't even need to let a dude like Mark Hunt, who is a five foot ten inch cannonball of a man, that guy doesn't even need to get close to you, ever. Right. It, that doesn't have to happen. Yeah, and you know, Stefan Struve seems to me like a super nice guy. He's a guy who I think is pretty easy to like. I don't think that he's your he, guy. Well, we all know that. Oh, that's right. I'm glad you're here because <laughs> you would lose track. Of were your guys. you not, I would not remember who is supposed to be my guy and who's yeah. not. So it's good that you're here to remind me. Yeah, don't you run uh, skyscrapers.tv? Yeah, skyscraper.tv.internet.com. Yeah. Uh, I would not say that Stefan Struve is the most exciting speaker in the world, but he legitimately seems to have a really good attitude. I mean, he's a dude who got his jaw broken so bad that it looks like you could stick a matchbook. In the in the gap. don't though don't yeah, do that no, don't do that and like you know twenty four hours later he's joking about it on the internet and he's posting those creepy pictures of his skull uh, so <laughs> he seems like a guy who who has a good attitude a fun loving guy a guy who is easy to like but at the same time he's been talking about quote unquote learning to fight tall for years now yeah. like two years <laughs> and. It started out being, well, Stefan Struve's like 23 years old, so he's got time to learn how to do this, et cetera, et cetera. He's 25 now, which is not old by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also on the cusp of no longer being super young. You know what I mean? So it's like, at what point does he either actually learn to do that? and not let a much, much shorter man punch him straight in the face? Because the weigh-in photos of these dudes was like a cartoon. Yeah. It looked like a, a a freak fight from the 40s, you know? Like, well, we just found this super tall guy, and uh, we got this other guy who hits really hard. <laughs> well, you know, like he's been talking about learning to fight tall, he also maybe has bought into the this stuff that people say, like, well, he's so young, he's still got plenty of time, which would be true in a lot of careers. In a career where you're getting hit in the head, though... Um, your age is not just determined by the year that you were born. You know, you go yeah, out there, no, you start point. getting knocked out a bunch, and you might not have as many miles left on the odometer as you think you do. You know, you, you could be, for all you know, your prime is now. It's best to act like that. It's, yeah. it's best not to go out there and act like, well, I still got years to figure this stuff out. Because it's like, yeah, hey, I mean, just because Randy Couture fought into his 40s, his fighting style probably played a lot into that doesn't mean that everybody's going to have the same luck. So that's one thing that he's got to think about. The other thing, though, is when you, when you keep getting knocked out, a heavyweight who, who doesn't have a great chin is already uh, in a bad spot because that's a division where people are going to hit you really hard. Yeah. If, you, if you get known as the guy who do, can't stand up to that, you know, like we said with Vanderlei, it's not often that your chin starts going the other direction as you get older. It's not, it's not often that guys get better at that. You know, I, I think the thing that Stefan Struve, like, I, it seemed at the end of that fight, like, he was almost trying to prove, like, 
yeah, I can take this. I, I, yeah, Mark he seemed Hunsa- totally unconcerned yeah. about it until he got his jaw broken and his tooth knocked out. <laughs> well, and there was parts where he is standing there when Mark Hunt is trying to move in and close the distance, and Strew's response is to cover up and stand there, not move his feet to get out of the way, just to kind of try and... He doesn't need to play that defense. A guy that big, he just does, you don't need to let the guy get that close to you. And conversely, Mark Hunt, you don't need to be trying to pass Stephen Strews' guard, even though you did it like twice. Uh, still, th- that's where your corner is over there freaking out and yelling that they just want you to put your hand on this man's face. <laughs> uh, corner advice, I know that's you appreciate right. it, And Chad. hey, you know what? He went out there and did it. He did put <laughs> his hand on his face, yeah. and he did win the fight. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's always been a really kind of a feel-good story about Stefan Struve that he, he continues to train at the same European striking gym with Bob Shriver that he, you know, where he started when he was like 15 or whatever. And when he's getting ready for fights, I know he comes over to America and trains in L.A. with Anthony Hardonk uh, quite a bit. But could there be anything gained from Stefan Struve maybe going to train somewhere else? Because, you know, at least for one fight. Because whenever he gives these interviews he always talks about oh yeah my striking's really coming along my footwork is much better i'm learning how to use my reach i know that if i fight up to my potential these other guys shouldn't even be able to touch me and then he goes out and he fights in the cage like in the as i said in round one in the only way that he could have possibly lost right <laughs> yes yeah no that's true. i mean sure there's definitely something that could be gained by him going out and you know finding different people to train with different coaches to work with although you kind of wonder, is he at the point now where the things we've seen him do, you know, one of those fighters where he can add all the stuff he wants to his game, but that as soon as he gets hit, he's going to go back to that old stuff, which sometimes work for, works for him and sometimes doesn't. He's starting to seem like maybe one of those guys where you know what he's going to do once, once the shit starts flying. Once, once he is, as you would say, balls deep in the shit. Then, <laughs> he's in the tall grass. Yeah, then, then you know kind of what he's going to do. Sometimes it works for him against a guy like Mark Hunt, though. He just can't stand there and take those blows. And, right. you know, we've we got to give some credit to Mark Hunt. I mean, I feel like it was one of those things with Mark Hunt where the UFC tried to pay him off to not fight. Yeah, when they first yes. got his contract, yeah, right? I believe lost six fights in a row, or five. He, he came in and lost his first UFC fight, I think. Yeah. But he, he ended up losing, if I remember correctly, six fights in a row between 2006 and 2010. Six! Six fights in a row! Yeah, and the UFC had his contract, wanted to pay him money to stay home, to not show up and fight. And he said, no, I, I, want, I want to fight. And now look at him. You know, now he's run off four straight and yeah. against an increasingly, yes. increasingly tough competition and has looked good doing it. At least, you know, when he lands that punch, like, he, he's got a shot against anybody as long as he can put his hand on their face. Yes. You know, at this point, can we stop? I, I realize he's still like nine and seven or something professionally. Uh, but can we finally say, you know, Mark Hunt is no longer just a curiosity uh, that that Mark Hunt is a legit heavyweight. I mean, he he messed around in Stefan Struve's guard, didn't get submitted. Yeah, played with him on the ground a little bit. Got got in some some uh, situations that I'm sure made his corners heartbeats faster. But you know, then he goes out there and he knocks him out. Are you ready to take Mark Hunt seriously? Well, I mean, he's obviously better than just a curiosity. I mean, I think to to say it that way would be to greatly shortchange Mark Hunt, as I think he's proven over this UFC run because. I mean, a four-fight win streak in the heavyweight division is not an easy task. That's a that's a division where it's just a coin flip sometimes, especially if you're a striker who goes out there and, and kind of lays it on the line. And even if those wins are against somewhat middling opponents, 
which hunts are, and, and you're right to say that he's beat uh, increasing an increasing level of competition in, in every win, but he hasn't gone out there against a guy that we would consider like a, an elite, well-rounded heavyweight and got a win. And, I mean, come on. In this fight, I feel like Stefan Struve essentially served it up to him on a platter, and I don't think... I mean, he's got a four-fight win streak, so I don't think you could deny Mark Hunt a future fight with a top 10-ish heavyweight. <laughs> top 10-ish. I mean, he also looks to me like a guy who, the first time someone comes in there against him with a decent game plan that they're willing to implement, he's probably going to lose. Well, and I don't, I don't think that's unfair. I, I know we don't know for that's sure. That's thing. why they have to have the fight. Yeah, but. that's the thing. I mean, we can say, I feel like that's what happens to Mark Hunt. Like Even the people who are like the get on the rally for Mark Hunt thing, trying to get him a title shot, I feel like that's you know kind of tongue-in-cheek, where people are just like, hey, you know, It'd be fun. Let's 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 throw Mark Hunt a bone here. I mean, I think like a lot of people when I say that they think of him as a curiosity, I think that they do think of him as the dude who has no ground game but can just clock anybody and who knows what's going to happen. Right. I think now he's starting to show that he can at least be on the the ground and not you know immediately get choked as soon as you know his knees hit the mat. Yeah. So and he still be he can go out there and clock anybody. He's still got that. So let's give him a, a fight against. Definitely somebody in in the top ten. Maybe well, somebody yeah. lower down in the top ten, and let's just see what the hell happens because it's gotten to the point now where if Mark Hunt wins, you know, against somebody in the top, I think as he asked for somebody in the top five, whatever man. Uh, if he wins that, then you know, hey, you, you got to start talking about him as an elite heavyweight at that point. If they beat Mark Hunt right now, beating Mark Hunt really means something. Yeah, but I think that the fact that maybe people aren't quite buying him as an elite heavyweight. Is sort of what makes Mark Hunt interesting right now because he's won four fights in a row. He wants a fight with a top five uh, or whatever or whatever opponent, and yet there's still these doubts out there as to whether or not he can live up to that level. And you start looking around the heavyweight top ten, there's not a ton of really really available and appealing options. I mean, I think if Roy Nelson maybe gets past Czech Congo at UFC 159, then maybe your best bet is Mark Hunt versus Roy Nelson in a fight that I think absolutely no one could argue with. Uh, but then, you know, beyond that, if you start to look around the division and you're talking top five or top 10, who else is out there? Fabricio Verdum is out there, but he has to fight Big Nog, and those guys are scheduled to film The Ultimate Fighter Brazil until June. And you got to so, think if Fabricio Verdun wins that, then they're probably going to, he's shortlisted for a title shot at that point because you're going to run out of contenders soon. Yeah, when well, you got to think that the winner of Alistair Overeem and uh, Junior Dos Santos is probably right up there, especially if it's Overeem. Uh, Daniel Cormier and Frank Mir. You got to think that that the winner of that fight would probably not fight a guy like Mark Hunt. I well, think. if it's Cormier, he wants to go down and wait, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we don't know yet. Yeah, but so. God, Cormier versus Mark Hunt. Now, see, there's a fight. That would be a fun fight. Be a but I mean, when fight. you think about it, like those are essentially your options yeah. in, the, in the top 10, uh, unless you want to slate him with a guy outside, outside of the top 10, like maybe Pat Berry, who is already scheduled to fight, I believe, Sean Jordan in, in his next fight. So I believe that I feel like Mark Hunt is an interesting guy right now because he's won all these fights. We're still not sure that we're 100% buying it. And it's going to be, uh, I think, a sort of a chore to find him an opponent that means anything at this point, at least in the, in the immediate future for his next fight. How about uh, Mark Hunt versus a genetically modified grizzly bear? I'd watch that. The grizzly bear can't use his claws. 
Oh, well, then I take Gentleman's hunt, agreement. Hunt by knockout. <laughs> Gentleman's agreement not to use the Colossus. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's do. Uh, are you fucking kidding me? And then uh, we'll 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 get out of here. The, are you fucking kidding me? Probably the most self-explanatory recurring feature on the on the co-main event podcast uh, this week. I'm honestly not sure that this qualifies as a traditional. Are you fucking kidding me? Because I think it's more of a suggestion, really. And the suggestion is this: maybe in the future. We don't show Vanderlei Silva or whoever giving himself the old cup massage <laughs> after he suffers a low blow. And hey, maybe we don't show it twice. <laughs> don't you want to know what he does in those tender moments afterwards? He hustles his balls. Not That's really. What he does. I would honestly rather see Brian Stan <laughs> pacing back and forth, getting his warning from Mark Goddard, the most polite warning that a guy can get from an MMA referee. I just feel like the UFC production team is better than that. So it's maybe it's half-hearted, but I'm going to say, are you fucking kidding me? Hey, what Vanderlei Silva was doing is a practice known to aficionados of hardball detective novels as hustling your balls. That's what that's doing. Uh, my are you fucking kidding me? Also, a, a little bit of the break from the long story tradition of the angry are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Uh, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to Brian Caraway, mainly his, his corner, which included his girlfriend Misha Tate, uh, for telling him after the end of round two and uh, his fight with Takeo Mizugaki that you know he's up two rounds to none and can kind of take it easy in that third round. Uh, turned out that they were wrong. Their, their math was off a little bit there. I think Caraway obviously won the second, but the first was close. He, in that situation, you just don't tell a guy that you're up two rounds of nothing, go out there and take it easy. I mean, it doesn't even look like Caraway did take it super easy in that third round, but that's a close enough fight where you got to be telling the guy if you're his corner, hey, we think you're ahead, but it's close, go out there and get this round. Uh, you know, I give Brian Caraway some credit for having the, the guts to have his girlfriend in his corner because I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, if I'm in a stressful driving situation and my <laughs> wife is trying to talk to me, I just flip out. Uh, so... You know, hey, better man than I for being able to, to take advice from his girlfriend in those stressful situations, but maybe not the best advice from Misha Tate. Are you fucking kidding me? You tell your fighter to coast in the last round? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I saw uh, Dan Stupp, your boss over at MMA Junkie, comment that almost no fighter in the UFC takes as much shit in the MMA Junkie comment section as Brian Caraway, which I guess I understand, but also... I mean, can you really, you can't blame the guy, right? Like, you, it's not like Brian Caraway is going to be like, well, I should probably not date Misha Tate because everybody <laughs> will make fun of me on the internet, right? I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, that, one, that one's worth it. That's a, that's a trade-off that's worth it. And anyway, also, come on, I feel like somebody's got to take more shit than Brian Caraway. Yeah. Because well, there's so much shit being thrown around in the comments section. No, there, there is, there is. Anyway, that's going to do it for uh, round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, everybody knows that here at the Co-Main Event Podcast, we like to focus on the positives. Mm -hmm. So by way of starting round three, um, I feel like I want, I've been wanting to say this for a while, and I don't know if I actually have mentioned it on the podcast, but for 
I'd say about the last six months to a year, I feel like the UFC's promo commercials have gotten way better. And I don't know if that's because they're working with a new production team or maybe they are working with people from Fox. But I I just feel like they've got some fresh ideas floating around there. And I think that the George St. Pierre, Nick Diaz promo that uses House of the Rising Sun as its soundtrack is one of them. I feel like it's... That's right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? You stick House of the Rising Sun in your your fight promo and Chad Dennis is into it. Yeah, I mean, House of the Rising Sun is one of the... It's the the song that you learn how to play on like your (laughs) fourth week of guitar lessons. And it's it's admittedly an awesome song. And I feel like it brings a, a different vibe to the UFC promo video than just having STEM uh, play Face the Pain on every single one of them or whatever. And I feel like that's a good commercial. I don't feel like it's good enough to watch 400 fucking times while we're trying to watch (laughs) UFC on Fuel. And so I guess my opening remark to you to start this round is, why they do that? Why do they show? And and this week they were playing them back-to-back. They were playing two different St. Pierre Diaz UFC 158, I believe, commercials. And they were showing them back to back during every commercial break. What the fuck could they possibly be accomplishing by doing that? <laughs> well, uh, one explanation, one possible explanation for why you show your own ad 400 fucking times during the broadcast is because you can't get anybody else to buy advertising time. Well, yeah, I mean, it I think that's TV. the obvious. That's the obvious reason. But yeah, it, I okay, mean, but you're right. I mean, there is. You might want to consider the possibility of viewer fatigue, and this is what happened with the Henan Barrow as a monster thing. You know, that, yes. If it, if it's me, I'd just call Corn Nuts and be like, "Hey, man, how about we throw some free Corn Nuts ads on this UFC on Fuel show, so we don't have to show the Nick Diaz George St. Pierre promo." 800 times yeah or even just come up with a different uh ufc promo promoing something else i mean the ufc has a fight like every weekend at this point right so you could you know come up with some other advertisement just for the sake of mixing it up i mean you know they got something in the hopper something sitting around there that they want to advertise uh so yeah they do they might ought to give a little bit of thought because People who are hardcore MMA fans are sitting down there and they're watching the entire damn broadcast. And if by the end of it, they are sick of even the thought of this fight that they wanted to see. Because imagine what a shame this would be if, like, how do you make me sick of the idea of George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz? I want to see that fight. Even though I know that it doesn't make sense as a title fight right now with Nick Diaz coming off a loss on a suspension, I still want to see it. It's the awesomest fight that shouldn't be. Everybody wants to see it, and the only way you could make me not excited about it is just to wear that shit out over and over and over again during the course of a fight broadcast just like this. Yeah, to advertise a product that everyone who's watching the show already knows about, because I have long said about these UFC on Fuel shows, man, ain't nobody watching these things that doesn't already know about (laughs) UFC 158. Maybe there's one drunk guy getting off work from the factory coming home and, and and seeing a couple of guys rolling around stripped to the waist. I don't like where this is going. Inside a steel cage and 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 watches it out of pure curiosity. But like these fuel shows appeal to hardcore fans. Yeah. These are people who probably are already going to spend their money on UFC one fifty eight. But what if these hardcore fans did not know uh that GSP is sometimes so dark in his mind that you don't even th- 
Well, people, then have, that, people has no idea. That is, people has no idea how dark he is in his own mind sometimes. That too. is the takeaway from these ads that George St. Pierre says that people has no idea, no idea how dark he is in his mind sometimes, to which I responded on Twitter, nobody believes you, George. And <laughs> I think we have to give friend of the podcast, Danny Boy Downs, some credit for picking up and running with a hashtag that I believe someone else created, but... but Danny Boy Downs perfected. Yes, yes. And that is the hashtag GSP's dark place. Uh, <laughs> Some great, great he, tweets there from Certainly Danny Downs. the Twitter highlights of the night during UFC on Fuel 8 were Danny Boy Downs' tweets about giving examples of GSP's dark place. And we would like to share some of the select best ones with you. Now, one of my personal favorites is having a library book one day overdue. <laughs> I like going to Cape Cod. In autumn. <laughs> Having 7% body fat. <laughs> Only tipping 15%. <laughs> Giving a three-star Amazon review. And possibly my favorite, telling people that Godfather 3 was the best one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, Okay, you're going to try and sell us that GSP has this, this hidden dark place, right? Like the most stoic, like robotic robotic uh, kind of just uh, detached and uh, unemotional seeming dude out there uh, shows up in his tailored suits and everything but is what keeping bodies in the basement it's a little weird that that's what you're trying to sell us on yeah and also a guy who just out and out appears to be just friendly <laughs> as they would say on the wire way too motherfucking friendly but though you know we do have that clip of Dana White saying that George St. Pierre said that Nick Diaz is the most disrespectful person well, he's ever met. Let's talk about this, because I have to admit, after our show a couple weeks ago, where you aired your suspicion that perhaps the story that Anthony Pettis called out Jose Aldo via text message to Dana White could potentially have been a work, that it could have been something come up with by the PR team to come up with a compelling next fight for Jose Aldo and also... Well, could could have been a, a work on the UFC PR side or could have been somebody on Anthony Pettis' side. Right. Maybe so, just not the most organic. Yeah, situation. because it seemed too good to be true. Yes. And I can't shake that from my mind now whenever I see these GSP Nick Diaz promos with Dana White talking about how uh, George St. Pierre came up to him after the fight and said Nick Diaz was the most disrespectful person he'd ever met and he was going to give him, quote, the worst beating that anyone has ever seen in the UFC. Are we buying it? Are we buying the fact that George St. Pierre hates Nick Diaz? Well, here's a, a reason to buy it. Uh, even though I'm sure that George St. Pierre, being a rich, famous super athlete, has met a lot more people than I have in my life. I still find it believable that Nick Diaz could be the most disrespectful person he's ever yeah, Especially yes. the most disrespectful to George St. Pierre. Because I have a feeling that most of the people that George St. Pierre meets are super respectful to him. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that's a solid point. He seems like a guy not only because of the fact that he could potentially kill you, but also because he's so friendly. Yeah. And... Very rich. <laughs> Most people are probably quite agreeable to George St. Pierre. And they probably don't flip him the middle finger. Yeah, and especially if you consider, you know, what George St. Pierre is used to his interactions with people being like, and what Nick Diaz is used to his interactions with people being like, I could see how 
George St. Pierre could meet Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz could think he was behaving completely normally, and George St. <laughs> Pierre could come away going, what the fuck is that dude's problem? Why, who is ever, why would somebody be that disrespectful to me? Why they do that? I could, under, I could see how George St. Pierre could come away feeling that way. Yeah, and uh, UFC.com is, is currently promoting this fight as the, quote, fight we've all been waiting for, you said at the top of the round. You want to see it, even though it doesn't potentially make any sense. I you don't want to see it. Come on, I do want to see it, but I also don't think that it stacks up as a particularly competitive fight. Could be wrong, uh, but it, it, as I believe we've said on the podcast, seems like a good opportunity for a redo of Ben Henderson versus uh, Nate Diaz. Agreed on that. Uh, and is it just because of Diaz? Is is it because Diaz is such a like polarizing figure, and frankly? fascinating like impossible to look away from uh is it obviously you know george st pierre he's he's fought a ton of other dudes we were not particularly excited about watching those fights a lot of the time nick diaz making this fight yeah you know i think it's a couple things for one nick diaz like you said he is he is an enigma wrapped up in a puzzle wrapped in a riddle stuffed into a mystery yeah, I mean, Nick Diaz is fascinating, especially to those of us who have you know covered him and written about him for years, and you still don't really feel like you know him. He's, he is endlessly fascinating and a lot of fun to, to watch. I think, though, that combines with the things we know about Nick Diaz as a, as a fighter are that you know he likes to just come forward, up the pressure on you until you break, not really concerned about getting hit in the face himself, uh, and can take a hell of an ass kicking. I mean, if you do take Nick Diaz down and try and elbow a hole in his face, you know, he's going to still be there pointing at the hole and telling you that it ain't shit. <laughs> like that's that's what you know about Nick Diaz, right? Like and he he does have some submission skills off his back that give you something else to think about with George St. Pierre uh, because that's probably where St. Pierre is going to look to put him. So, I feel like it's a combination of all those things that uh, Nick Diaz is going to force you to kick his ass for five full rounds if that is indeed your plan. Uh, and Nick Diaz has the ability to, even if he is getting his ass kicked for four and a half rounds, to still throw something up there at the end and catch you. So there is that element of, of interest to the fight. I still think George St. Pierre wins it, but I don't think it's a gimme uh, by any means. I think it's going to be a tough fight, and I think that maybe that's part of the UFC's thinking here is that what we have to sell people on is that George St. Pierre wants to hurt Nick Diaz where other people he just wanted to win. Like he just wanted to beat them, just wanted to get a victory over them. But if he really wants to hurt Nick Diaz because Nick Diaz is maybe not as respectful as the uh, salesman at uh, you know Brooks Brothers is to George St. Pierre, then you know gives him new motivation. So and and to some extent, I buy that. And let's be honest, there is potentially no more fun outcome in the entire landscape of mixed martial arts than the potential of the Nick Diaz. UFC title reign. Oh, Jesus. It would be unbelievable. You think it's hard to get Nick Diaz to show up to like a, a countdown taping now? Yeah. When Imagine he's the champ, he... <laughs> he ain't doing shit for yeah. you. 
You you will not don't even bother trying to call Nick Diaz and get anything done over the phone. You will have to fly out there in person, stake out his house, and try and catch him on the way to his car where he is going to smoke weed all the way <laughs> on the freeway to wherever he's going. You got that's your window. Right before he gets in the car and begins smoking weed, that's the only time you'll get to talk to him because he is not showing up and doing shit for, for media responsibilities or anything if he becomes UFC champion. It'll be unmanageable and it'll be awesome. Well, at least we know he still lives in the same place, though, after the, <laughs> no, yeah, the post-BJ Penn fight press conference when he went on and on about how he lived in the shittiest neighborhood. Yeah. And then Dana White was like, well, now you got enough money to move. And Nick Diaz, probably in the most classic Nick Diaz, or one of the more classic Nick Diaz responses, was just like, I don't have time to move. <laughs> he doesn't just have time like, for that shit. Oh, man. He doesn't have time to be buying houses, buying new houses. He doesn't know how to do that. He had to go to school to learn how to buy a house, man. I suppose. Even though Nate Diaz did it, he moved out, moved around the around the corner, got his own place, so he's not living in whatever weird communal living situation <laughs> the professional Diaz brothers were living in prior to that. Well, they, from what I've seen on the internet, uh, the, the Diaz house looks like a great place to hone your knife-throwing skills. I don't doubt that. I don't <laughs> doubt that. Uh, anyway, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, ben... This is the part of the program where you and I both make a statement that we were then later never never asked to to support or back up or support with facts. What is your just saying stuff for this week? I'm just saying, as we alluded to earlier, Stefan Struve tweeted a picture of his damn skull. And stick a matchbook in there. <laughs> to show how badly his jaw was broken uh, by one of Mark Hunt's prodigious blows. I'm just saying that by tweeting not only a picture of his skull, his damn skull, but also a picture of his skull with a huge crack in it, Stefan Struve has upped the Twitter game for fighters everywhere. Oh, you thought you thought it was cool enough to post a, a Twitter picture of you standing next to your Mercedes Benz or you partying with some chicks at, at Privé? Nah, playa. Stefan Struve put his skull on Twitter, son. Up your Twitter game, fighters. I'm just saying. It's, it's, it's not the same anymore. Just saying. I'm just saying this week that three of the last four, and indeed four of the last six UFC on Fuel main events have ended in upsets. After Chan Sung Jung, Stefan Struve himself, back when his skull was in one piece, uh, Kung Lee, and now Vanderlei Silva all got victories uh, as the underdog. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's a fluke or if it's because the UFC seems to have a tendency to book what we might call fun fights as the main event of these fuel shows. But if there's a betting man out there who is just slightly more superstitious than I am and he wants to put some cash down on gay guard, sweet and sassy Musasi, the young vagabond, the young vagabond, the dream catcher next month when he fights Alexander Gustafson. I'm not going to stand in his way. And you know what? I'm not even going to say it's the worst idea I ever heard. Just, I'm just saying. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. We will be back next week on an episode where I assume we will spend the bulk of our time previewing UFC 158 between George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz. As for now, though, that's the show for this week. We're done. We're through. We are out. Do you think that Nick Diaz is sitting around watching those promos going, and people has no idea how respectful I am in my head sometimes? <laughs> I hope so. I hope he is. <laughs>